1: Great college basketball venues in the nation. UD Arena. Dayton Flyers are going to the Elite Eight for the first time in 30 years. Well, here here we comes go. Top It Again. Oh, it's showtime. The Dayton Flyers.
2: This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball. Always wearing red and being loud.
1: Here come the
2: flyer, hey, here come the fly and head, here come the fly and hey, here come the fly and hey, here come the fly ahead, here come the fly hey, and Welcome back to the A10's number one podcast, talking out loud, where we'll we discuss all things Dayton Flyers basketball, whether we have taken two weeks off or not, and we have it indeed taken two weeks off. We apologize, friends and family and fans of the Flyer. I'm Sully. He's Drew. We're joined by a special guest that I'll bring on just momentarily because the Flyers are winners tonight. The final 72-54 at Amherst, completing a victory for the Flyers. It gives them four in a row and seven in a row against the UMass Minutemen. It has been a one-sided series since the end of the 2017-2018 series, and the Dayton Flyers have made it so. A dominating win from start to finish. One of the all-time snoozers that I can remember in February. But a win is a win is a win, as they say. And the Flyers improved to 19-9 on the season, 11-4 in conference play, and are simply one measly win against George Mason away for making this a true two-team race for the regular season title in a 10 play. Whether you're joining us on the podcast feed or 1410 ESPN Radio, we welcome you in. Again, I'm your host, Sully. I've been doing this for a very long time, and I'm joined by my co-host, Drew, who watched most of the action tonight between Dayton and UMass, and the takeaway, Drew, was that... um, Boy, there just was not a whole lot to report. That was as routine as a win of a win as you get in February. True, if I do say uh, so myself,
3: uh, it sure was. Dayton promptly starts the game up nine nothing leads for the remainder of the game. UMass cuts it to two once, I believe. And then pretty much from that point on, it was cruise control for uh, Deron Holmes and the Dayton Flyers. Like you called it a snoozer, that's a good way to put it. And you know what? Those are
2: my favorite kind of Dayton games to watch, brother. The disrespected Dayton Flyers put a feather in their cap trademark. to make sure that they are not disrespected any longer. And we'll start the 45-minute show right there before we bring on our special guest. And frankly, it's because of the rhetoric that we've seen over the last two weeks. And I know how this type of rhetoric lays seeds in foundation to come and sprout into quotes like the one that I'm about to mention. But... After the Dayton game this past Friday night at Loyola, Dayton beating the worst team in the league. We'll have to reference that a time or two during this discussion. But after Dayton beat the worst team in the league, Deron Holmes had a quote that said, whether you were with us or against us, we saw a lot of fans jumping off the bandwagon and they were not with us anymore. Well, we're making, what, what do you say, your believers out of them or... He was basically alluding to the fact that there are a lot of fans that have jumped ship and now they don't want him back or we're proving people wrong. They're doing this whole Georgia Bulldogs of football disrespect. They're doing the whole Kansas City Chiefs underdog story BS. And I got to tell you, in all the years that I've followed the Flyers and specifically the years that I've covered them, I have not found a bigger load of crap out of the team than the weird, disrespected narrative that they tried to start last Friday. So let's nip that in the bud before we bring on our buddy Curry Hicksage to break down the UMass game here and the Flyers being a winner by 18. That was the biggest load of crap I've ever heard after a game, and I understand. They're college kids. They're going to spout off. They're going to make their quotes about, you know, after a game, your your blood's running high, and it's – it's akin to having many drinks on your couch as a fan, you know, late Friday night, at 11 o'clock. You're basically just going to say whatever comes into your head. And I know how these things, again, are laid in foundation. Duran's dad has been doing this crap on Twitter for like the whole season is that if you're not with us in the beginning, we're losing. Don't come back. And let's be honest here, people. Let's lay the foundation of the radio show. The Dayton Flyers were ranked in the preseason 24. They were respected by everybody, man, woman, child, fan, media member. Across the country, they were a respected basketball team. The only reason there are seeds of doubt among this fan base is for reasons that the coaching staff and players have given fans to have those seeds of doubt. The team was 5-5 five and five on December 7th. At the end of the non-conference play, they were 8-5 and five without a quality win. They only have, let's argue, one quality win to date. And so if you are sitting out there doubting them, doubting their coach, doubting the players, I would say specifically, you probably should not doubt the players. I would probably put the blame on the coaching staff, where if you want to doubt something or someone, I would not be pointing that doubt towards the players I would be pointing it towards the coaching staff and the head honcho AG who has 15 years of resume to look back at and say that in the big games, he simply does not get the job done consistently enough. So here we sit mid-February and the team feeling that they're disrespected as the preseason conference favorite that only was, let's call it disrespected, because they limped out of the gate eight and five. And of course, there were injuries that made that so. There were injuries that, of course, led to that outcome of eight and five. But I frankly just found the disrespect narrative that they wanted to create flat out ridiculous, especially given the fact that Dayton comes home on Saturday night to play George Mason and the cheapest ticket to get in the building for a non-NCA tournament team versus a very crappy George Mason team is $70. If you would like to say that fans leave and, oh, they're not going to come back, you're going to have to do that in another basketball program that is Dayton because of all the things that you can throw at Dayton fans for being Negative or crappy or all of the things that you would like to put on Dayton fans, you cannot say that we go away and then come back. The building is filled every single effing game, week in, week out, year in, year out. And if you want to play this BS narrative that you're disrespected and the fans don't care, you're going to have to do it in another program because we sold out every game to start the season and that's not going to change. And the building will be absolutely sold out on Saturday night against a terrible George Mason team when neither squad is going to the NCAA tournament. So this team is going to have to spare me the underdog narrative. They're going to have to spare me the, we were disrespected BS go out, win games and prove to everybody in the fan base and the town that this is the team that we were that we expected in the preseason when the whole effing thing, quote Jake Taylor, Drew, where did I mess up on that monologue to start the show?
3: Uh, you didn't. It is kind of uh ridiculous, but the only thing I'll say is uh, if they want to do this whole psych themselves into being disrespected thing and they keep playing like they did tonight, uh, I'm gonna be kind of inclined to tell sure. them like, yeah, man, just keep doing what you're doing, you know. Sure. But yeah, like on the real, yeah, you're you're in this position because you because you put yourself in this position. That's right. And so, yeah, like I've when I read the quotes, I kind of like rolled my eyes. I was like, like, whatever. But there is a small part of me that is like if they're just doing this to psych like if this is what it takes to psych these guys up and to to go out and step on a couple necks and, you know, be a little bit like have a little bit of killer instinct in them, then fine, whatever it takes.
2: Whatever it takes. Eight minutes into the show, I would be remiss if I did not at this point bring on our special guest. His name is Curry Hicksage. He is a guru of social media when it comes to UMass basketball. We welcome him onto the show right now. Curry, before we get to the basketball playing that got done tonight, do you feel like the Dayton Flyers have been disrespected at any point in this season as a UMass diehard and fan who, let's say, you're on Twitter as regularly as we are?
4: Uh, I mean, disrespected by who? Listen, I'm so <laughs> exhausted by this nonsense. Like, it's very who? simple. It's very simple. There's a line, and we've dealt with it, I would argue, maybe even more than you guys have this year. And at least in the case of For you sure. guys, it's a player who's, you know, 19 or 20 years old. In our case, it's been our head coach who's uh, what I would describe as performatively exasperated. I don't – I have a hard time believing he <laughs> – actually feels this way i think he's he's at, he's performing it right and i see this with players yeah. coaches and the like around the country where i've actually got thoughts on this but we could go into it another time no i don't there are always jerks out there who say toxic things and then are taken and purposefully uh you know taken as as somehow being representative of your whole fan base Dayton's fan base and I've said this a number of times is the envy not only of programs in the Atlantic 10 but really nationally when you consider its success at a national level or lack thereof relative to its um to its uh fan support. engagement there is no there is no one in the country that has better support for a team with less success than Dayton. Now, I'm not saying they've had no success. They've had quite a bit of it. But relative to the 13,000 fans who come in there for every game, there's no one in the country who's failed to make the tournament in whatever it is you guys have. I mean, obviously, the 2020 thing was its own deal. but Yeah, yeah, we get I, it. I, I I can almost guarantee there's no one in America whose fans have continued to show up for a team that hasn't made the tournament in that long. No one. Yeah. So it's absurd that anyone would suggest, at least with our fans, if you want to complain about them, you can, because they don't show up unless we're good. Um,
2: And so But that's like a normal fan base, That's a a literal normal fan base. (laughs) But
4: like, at least that would be, they would be a little more justified in being like, Hey, like you can't criticize if you don't show out kind of thing. You guys do. And my big philosophy is like, you're allowed to convey frustration when you're a paying customer and you guys pay. Now there's always a line. Don't, personally attack a kid, don't call a kid out as a person. Um, But in terms of criticizing gameplay or coaching or, you know, substitution patterns, that's a part of the deal. And none of this stuff exists. The 13,000 fans a game sort of thing does not exist in a universe where you're, where you're not very passionate and passion begets passion. Uh, Passion begets like rhetoric that sometimes is a little, you know, a little, hostile, but it's not crossing the line. And, you know, I'm sure there are always a few and shame on them. But for the most part, you know, you guys have a tremendous fan base and, and the you're the envy of the rest of the country. So any player on your team should feel free to transfer elsewhere and they can see what, it's, what fan bases that do the same exact thing at places where they don't sell at every game actually look like.
2: Yeah. And that is the overarching point that I make to people. I mean, consistently, all the time. And right now, fans are using basically any argument to spark Anthony Grant debate, and and I'm not here for it. Because, frankly, I don't need to be here for your opinion on Anthony Grant, okay? If he gets it done this year in the A-10 tournament, I'll still have my doubts, but I'll be ecstatic that we obviously win the A-10 tournament. And if he doesn't, I saw this quote online from a St. Louis fan Dayton will need to seriously examine the ROI of their basketball program. Now, we can put all this aside because it was a great win for Dayton tonight. Like we said, they dominated from start to finish, but we start the program there because this disrespected Dayton Flyers, I hate to say a narrative because that has political connotations, but if they really want to start this crap that they're disrespected You guys got to sleep in the bed you made. And we said this in November and people got pissy with us. And then we said it in December. And then we said it going into conference play. Dayton makes and breaks their entire season, just like every other program in the Atlantic 10 during the non-con. And guess what? Now that you're outside of the bubble, now that you have no chance of playing onto the bubble, now that you're playing Q3 and Q4 games against Loyola Chicago and Massachusetts, those don't help you, and they can't move the needle, and you can't make a resume because you didn't lay that groundwork and make that bed in the non-con, and I just don't know what it's going to take for people to understand that that's the landscape we live in you have to win the big games early because there's not enough of them late and and that that's really where I got irked from this whole thing was now they want to play that we're disrespected and again Dayton's had their injuries they've had their problems okay they've had struggles they've had shortcomings this season has not been ideal but there is no fan here in this fan base that has left. And I guarantee you all of this crap that Duran and his dad and the players, all of this crap that they're reading by fans, let's call it negativity, let's call it complaints, all of that is by fans that are still buying tickets and showing up in the building. And if you want me to go a step further, guys like Duran Holmes and his dad, great contributors to the program, thank you God for Duran and coming to this program and feeling like you're at home. But don't start throwing stones at the fans because when Duran goes to the NBA and Dayton, Anthony Grant, however you want to credit him, getting to the NBA, he's going to go there and worry about him and his self and his family as he should. But guess what? You're not going to care about the Dayton Flyers the same way the fans do. The fans are still going to be here just like they've been here for 100 years before you and they'll be here for 100 years after you. So, my note to the team is always going to be the same do your job, win games, and do not concern yourself with fan opinion online because we've been here and we're going to be here and the players aren't. And that is as simple as I can make it is that I have gotten so tired. And it's, I'm going to be honest with you. And I would say it to his face. He's a big dude. And I, you know, if he wants to catch an assault charge, that's on him. But Duran's dad has this tendency of talking to fans constantly online. Listen, bud, we've been here for a long time, and we're going to be here for a long time. You're the blip on the radar. And if you're upset with how mean we are to your son, and I haven't even seen that, just to be honest, I have not seen any vitriol at all directed towards Deron Holmes. None. I haven't said any myself. I haven't seen a single fan. Talk negatively about Thrawn Holmes. But if you're going to go that route, you're not going to sell me on it, man. Because we've been here and we're going to be here. And you're the one that's taken a flyer on this program, no pun intended, for two years. Okay? So... We're actually going to talk about the game, Dayton beating UMass by 18, but you're going to have to come back on the other side of the break to get that conversation. We got Drew, I'm Sully. Curry Hicksage from the UMass side of things is going to break it down. Come on back on the other side of the break, whether you're listening to us on the podcast feed or 1410 ESPN Radio right here in Dayton. Welcome back in. This is Talking Out Loud. I'm Sully. He's Drew, and we're joined by Curry Hicks Sage. If you don't follow him, he's at Curry Hicks Sage. Did you guys ever come up with a name for your podcast, Curry? Yes, the UMass Basketball Podcast. Okay, so you just, you you stuck with that. Okay, you stuck with that. So, he does the UMass Basketball Podcast. You can find him on Twitter. He does a Spaces on Twitter almost every game consistently. I think in the offseason, you're doing them a lot there. But uh, the foremost expert online, social media, and for uh, UMass basketball, Curry Hicksage joining the program tonight to break down the carnage that we just saw. Dayton again, a winner 72 to 54. Whether you're listening to us on the podcast feed or 1410 ESPN radio in Dayton, this is the talking out loud rapid reaction Dayton improving to 19-9 and nine at the expense of the UMass Minuteman. And it leads us to our first question of the second segment, specifically for Curry Hicks-Sage. Curry, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. We've been doing this now, I think, me and you back and forth for a good four or five years now. And we're stalwarts in the, uh, the A10 podcasting space. I think we've carved out um, our respectable niches um, that have been separate of, of one another. But my question to you is, my interest wanes as the season goes on and we are not a contender, a serious contender for an at-large berth getting into the NCAA tournament. But that really hasn't been on the table for UMass for the last, let's call it seven or eight years now, since 2014, when you guys were last in the tournament with Derek Kellogg at the helm for you Flyer fans, who's now back on the staff, has done a full uh, 360, if you want to call it. But my question to you, Curry, is: How do you guys keep doing it, man? How do you, you know, get yourself psyched up for UMass seasons, knowing that? I, I mean, I hate to call it, you know, being rude and saying like it's mediocrity, but no, kind of know a, that's a perfect word for it. Well, that's yeah, I word. mean, you, you kind of know going into the season that UMass is going to be this middle of the road, maybe lower tier, tier Atlantic Ten program. But I gotta be honest, man. You usually have as much, if not more, enthusiasm for your show than I do for what I do here, and I find it wholly impressive. So, enlighten the listeners. Like, what is it that keeps you ticking year in, year out about UMass basketball?
4: Boy, I think I think you'd you'd need a. A really well compensated psychiatrist to 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 tackle that, <laughs> or a longer um,
2: segment on the radio. <laughs> I
4: mean, for me, right? Like, look. I mean, I grew up in a- right next to Amherst, you know, a town or two over when Calipari was there. And you've got to understand, like, Western Mass is not. Bo- I live in New York City now, but it's not Boston. It's pretty yeah. country, and yeah. very pretty area actually um and rural yeah you could say it's rural i mean you're not far from springfield which is kind of the dayton of massachusetts to an extent that's fair that's, a, that's, fair, that's yeah. 30 35 minutes the hall of fame is there but you know for uh, for me growing up as a kid like that was like an electric moment and i, I just never got over it so you're kind of always chasing that high i will say this year to be fair whatever you think of frank martin He has um, a certain, you know, whether fairly or not, he has a certain national cachet. And for sure, he, because of the nature of the transfer portal, did, I think, inject uh, an immediate energy into the program. And they found a lot of extra money to pay him. And he put together what I will still maintain, despite tonight's outcome and really the bulk of conference play a very good roster. It's one that's been saddled with injuries. It's, you know, we could get into that. You know, UMass's two leading scorers did not, were we're unavailable tonight, one of whom has been out for the better part of six weeks. Uh, One who just went out last week, Matt Cross, a Louisville transfer who's really been the the heart and soul of the team. Um, So I would say like this year, our optimism to some extent was warranted based on our hot start. You know, we opened eight and two beat Colorado, beat Murray State, you know, played pretty good basketball. And um, and then it's just really gone by the wayside in conference play. As for why I've been optimistic in past seasons, yeah, that's harder to explain. And uh, certainly last year, I think the only thing that kept me a little bit excited was the fact that, you know, McCall, who was let go, um, close friend of Anthony Grant's, by the way, Um, I I had thought or hoped or deluded myself into believing that maybe because of the nature of the portal, some of the fifth year senior types he brought in might've been better than they ultimately were and they were not. Uh, but this was the first year where I think I had, you know, a little bit of reason to actually have some enthusiasm, which was borne out for really the whole of non-conference play and then quickly fell apart, uh, and injuries are a part of it but that's hardly the whole story.
2: Yeah, and and I you know, I certainly appreciate like your background and you know just being from the area and um would you say that you're the college basketball version of like a Chicago Bulls fan at this point where like you're pretty sure it'll never be as good as it it was? in the past oh for sure but, that's
4: that's a totally legit analogy i didn't mean to cut yeah. you off but but <laughs> no, yeah, no, I mean, yeah i mean like i look i i always think that umass from a just like and we don't know what's going to happen with the with the a10 but i'm watching our, our women's team right now that's 23 yeah. and four and 13 and one in the league they're actually losing a slew but um the point i, I mentioned that because they were Way worse than our men's team for the last twenty years. I mean, like six, seven, eight wins a year, and you know they got a great, a really good coach. And you know, there's no reason UMass with a really good coach can't be it consistently in the top six in this league. They just can't figure that part out, right? And so, you know, they're they're a step behind St. Louis, uh, VCU, and and Dayton. But after that, there's, you know, I think UMass, Richmond, URI are kind of in that next tier from maybe St. Joe's from a resources and commitment standpoint. And look, like Duquesne is about to win 20 games. Fordham is over 20 wins. So there's, I'm, I'm of no under no illusion that we're going to ever get to where it was. But there's no reason we should not be consistently in the top half and semi regularly competing for that. You know top four seed. And yet that's just not the reality. So, um, yeah. Well, yeah. And
3: and with that, I kind of felt the same way about UMass as I did about Rhode Island going into this year with Archie, Archie Miller going there as well, where, you know, they're established guys. They're well-known. They can bring juice to a program. The first season might be a little Rocky, but you never know until, you know, until you roll the ball out and you're right. There is kind of a vacuum that's ready to be, you know, attained outside of that BCU Dayton and St. Louis group. And you mentioned it, like Fordham, Duquesne, George Mason, and George Washington are that like next four in this yep. very, very crowded league. And I do think that as the years move forward, if Martin and Archie for that matter, if they can establish themselves and build their programs up that they could very easily fill that vacuum of the fourth and fifth spot. And if you get there then from where you go from there and forward is however far those two coaches are willing to take it. And I, I'm, I'm interested to know like what were your expectations for you, Mass, coming into this season? Like what would you have viewed as a success before the first game of the year?
4: Yeah. So it is obviously always hard with, um, with first years for coaches. And I will say this, like if it, if it was a pre portal era, where you had to have guys sit out, I would have 100% been like, I'll be thrilled if we get to 500. But once Certainly. I saw the guys we brought in and the fact that they could play right away and the fact that there was like five other new first year coaches in this league, we knew it was going to be kind of a down league. There was a Then I kind of started believing this team should be 17 and 13, 18 and 12. And, you know, but for the injuries you know, tonight, notwithstanding, yeah. but, that's not that far off. They'll probably finish 15 and 15. You know, I think they'll probably steal Bonnie on senior day and you know, so it's not that far off from my expectations, but man, as you guys know, a 15 and 15 season, especially one that starts eight and two and an 18 and 12 season are, feel so (laughs) different.
3: Yep. And you know, we've, we've done our fair share of complaining about injuries this season. Trust me, I've done enough of it. But yeah, losing Fernandes, uh, he kind of feels like you, you lose him, you kind of lose the engine of of that UMass basketball team. I go back to the A ten tournament game last season that these two teams played, performance and performance against he was oh my god, he, he was a, he yeah. was the boogeyman on that night. And when they they rolled the ball, you know, admittedly haven't caught a whole lot of UMass this season. Uh, I can only watch so much college basketball, it, it. but um, when I realized he was not <laughs> was going to be playing, okay. and I and yeah. I looked it up and th- at how long he's been out, I was like, "Oh man, that's you know, that's I'm, I'm glad he's you know, I'm not glad he's injured." I was like, I'm "It glad makes That's why
2: UMass is struggling." Yeah, for
3: right that. for sure, and it it did make a whole lot of sense. And you know what? To uh, to RJ, uh, I'm blanking on his last name Luis, right now, he's but yes, Luis. He, I, I came away from the from the UMass side of this game tonight, very, very impressed with him. That he's dude really was good. that dude was tough. He had the Hamilton mask going for obviously for medical reasons. Not a he's not a rip Hamilton type, but uh, I I came away really impressed with him, and and he kept coming even when UMass was out of the ball game. That kid did not quit. He did not let up, and uh, you know, he for what it's worth, it's not worth a lot, but he won my respect.
4: And, and He's really of the, good.
2: And, go ahead, Curry.
4: You know, he's really good, and, 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 like, the reality is, you know, the Noah narrative, while real, the truth is the biggest problem I think you saw tonight, which has been emblematic of parts of our season, is Frank wants to play a kind of plodding old-school style with two bigs wherever possible, and we don't have a big who can dominate the paint like a Holmes or even anything remotely close and yeah. so, when you don't have a big who's consistently getting you at least double figures every night, it's hard to run an offense through the paint. And I, I just think that, Frank, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, square peg and round hole syndrome where he's tried to play a certain way that doesn't necessarily fit the personnel he has. And I think that that's been arguably more the story than Noah's loss. Other, other, because our freshman point guard, the kid Keon Thompson, was pretty good tonight. Um, yeah. And and you know Noah was terrific, and he you know obviously you guys have memories of that downright sensational play game where he almost single handedly willed UMass to a win against Dayton last year. But yeah. the, the truth of the matter is UMass's struggles, I think, this year on the offensive side of the ball have come through the inability to to sort of dominate uh, the post offensively.
2: Yeah, and and that's why um, going into games past. I, you know me, I try to look at things as realistically as I possibly can. I try to take the fan glasses off. And there's some matchups where I'm like, yeah, you know what? Like, I just don't know how we're going to fare tonight. Or, man, I got a bad feeling about this for XYZ reasons. UMass just wasn't that way, man. Because like you said, Frank likes to play this too big traditional, you know, one, two, three, four, five type of style like everybody have their position you know like on a traditional basket. he's old school there's no other way to put it he's old school right and teams that are going to play us without those two bigs without a post presence they're going to struggle unless they try to do something like Fordham did it last year I think Loyola did it when they were at Dayton They basically just try to get really physical down low and double the post as soon as the ball comes because, frankly, they don't have any other ideas. There's nothing else that they can do. And I thought tonight was kind of emblematic of that exact same point where you could tell pretty early on, as long as Dayton's going to get the ball into the post, get Holmes's looks down low, this is going to be a pretty easy night for Dayton because I think you just said it right they didn't really have anybody to play on homes. And I remember it at halftime, they went to the studio and, uh, you know, Gary Parish and them were talking and they're like, well, Kamara's only got one point. I think he had one point or three points at the half, something like that. And they're like, ah, oh, you know, got to get him going. And I'm sitting there like, you know what? This is pretty, um, th- this is, I hate to always use the word emblematic again, because we're, we're harping on it. But, um, this, it's something that a crew would say on TV that hasn't watched Dayton at all. Because frankly, when Holmes is getting the looks that he he did and he had in that first half, we don't need Kamara to score. And if you look at all of his games early on in this year, or even in the last couple of weeks where he's like blown up and scored 20, it's because the other team is focused on Holmes and taking him out of the game. And I really don't think that was ever on the table for UMass because frankly you've seen them they couldn't do it there's no way that this UMass roster could take Holmes out of the game right no I mean he's an NBA player right in my opinion
4: and I mean UMass had some solid bigs they threw at him I thought Levesque getting that early foul that I thought was a charge was definitely you know it's you guys are gonna win that game no matter what but I thought that did impact the flow of the game because Levec is pretty athletic. He was an SEC center for three years. He started there. You know, I mean, he's a legit player. Um, But Holmes is the best player on the floor, and he's going to get his points. And, you know, like, ultimately, I thought UMass probably should have tried to extend the floor because you guys have such length that the only chance UMass had in tonight's game was when TJ Weeks hit those two threes kind of early on. Yeah. And um, when he got
2: back within two, yeah.
4: Yeah, and and th- and that was because UMass was able to stretch the floor a bit, um, but after that, right. you know, you guys settled down and you ran your offense really well. I mean, you also like so. the thing about Dayton is you take a lot of time on on possessions, as we know, and so sometimes that ends up with like I feel like there's a lot of 63-61 games. Yep, and it just requires you guys to make shots in a way that I feel like it's not as common. With obviously, everyone has to make shots to win basketball games. But you know, you know, like you run. I see. You're,
3: there's fewer possessions, so correct. the yeah, shots yeah, you make are valued higher. Yeah. And so, and so, I thought tonight you guys made shots,
4: and once you do that, you're always pretty solid defensively. So once you do that, you're tough to come back on. It's not like Virginia or something, but you know, it's comparable in that once you take a commanding lead, it's a very difficult thing to uh, overcome. And then you yeah, started forcing stuff and really struggling.
3: And on that point. Dayton from the three-point line, not taken by Duran Holmes or Tamani Kamara, were 8 of 16, 50%. So that
4: tracks. Right. You know? And yeah. like that's probably not your every-game situation, but you still win that game by 10, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah, and you can already tell right now that Duran is starting to take a couple of those threes because uh, I'm sure he's heard from a couple NBA scouts that he's going to have to start taking a couple of those threes and making them. And uh, frankly, to end the segment, one of the things that I have been talking about with people online recently is the number one reason that Duran is not going to come back next year. And if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, what, so He's not going to come back? Like Duran is not coming back next year, 100%. And one of the reasons is he doesn't have a whole lot to accomplish in college basketball anymore because if he did come back, he's going to have to diversify his skill set. And you're already kind of seeing it. He's taken like one or two three-pointers a game when they're open, but it's a very classic case of you're open because the other team wants you to be open. He's not comfortable taking those. He's not a good three-point shooter. He's certainly no Obi Toppin from the perimeter, and those shots are going to continue to be open for Duran Holmes. So. Uh, Interested to get Curry's uh, perspective on his first impressions of the Dayton team now that he has seen them up in person against his UMass Minutemen. But you're going to have to come back on the other side of the break to hear those opinions from him. I'm Sully. He is Drew. And Curry Hicks-Sage from the UMass perspective joins us right here on Talking Out Loud, the rapid reaction Dayton 18-point winners, 72-54 against the UMass Minutemen in Amherst. Come on back, whether you're listening to Talking Out Loud on the podcast feed or 1410 ESPN Radio in
0: Dayton. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat.
2: back in, Talking Out Loud, 1410 ESPN Radio in Dayton, and the podcast feed wherever you can find us, Talking Out, L-O-W-D. I'm Drew. I'm not Drew. You are? I'm Drew. I'm Sully. I'm Sully? I'm Ron Burgundy? <laughs> and we're joined by Curry Hicks, Sage. Dayton winner, 72-54, 18-point win. Uh, Curry, the, the question I had for you to start off the third segment here, um, and I, I'm going to be kind enough to oblige your Twitter spaces tonight, but we got to get your perspective on, on our side of the fence. Um, first time you've probably seen Dayton for a 40 minute effort. Not probably, definitely. What were your first thoughts about seeing this team? Because frankly, you probably just heard us complaining, um, you know, cussing and discussing this Dayton Flyers team but what were your first impressions of this team and what did you take away from this game whether thinking hey Dayton has flaws or hey Dayton could win it all in Brooklyn
4: well I've I've thought Dayton was good all along and even when they struggled in the early going I mean it's some of it's the nature of their style where we were just talking about it it's like Dayton has to make shots they don't get as many possessions and they run their stuff and they're going to defend. They're going to be in most games. I, I mean, I think maybe that other than that Virginia, was that Virginia Tech game this year? Yeah. Yes. that was maybe in other December. that game, I feel like there's not been any games where you guys have gotten absolutely drilled, right? Um, and so, look, when Dayton runs their stuff and they're, you know, playing inside out through homes and, and, and guys are hitting threes, that's a really dangerous team. There's a reason they were a preseason top 25. The talent is there. This is – I mean, it's not even a high major roster. It's, it's, it's a, it's a solid, like it's a legitimate top 25 type
2: roster. Yeah. This roster could probably go like 500 in the big East, maybe a little bit better if they were healthy the whole season. Agreed.
4: Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, and you know, look, it's like, I, I'm, I, I, struggle to, you know, fathom that this group has lost almost double digit games. Um, I think they're really good. I also think with a double buy, you know, you have a really nice path. I think that there are certain teams in this league that are dangerous the way they play. I think like Duquesne is kind of scary the way they play. They just guard the hell out of the ball and will make your life difficult and make it a little harder to get into sets. But there's certainly no one in this league that other than VCU on a good night and VCU is like a little more hard to understand for me on some level. I've also, I think seen them a bit less, but there's yeah. no reason Dayton can't win the a 10 tournament. And if, and if I were betting on, I would take them right now, even at four or five to one uh, for sure. I yeah. think they're, they're as good as anybody in this league. I, I wasn't blown away by them tonight. I thought they made a lot of shots and they didn't wow me with their athleticism. It wasn't a 2020 OB show, um, but they are very solid, and they have guys at every position. Where was uh Char? Is it
2: Shar Vance? How do you pronounce it? Charum Johns, Mongolian Mike. That's how you pronounce. Yes. His name. Where was? I believe Vance? he was under the weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. Uh, he didn't travel with the team. He's. I think he's. But
4: sick. he's been pretty. Yeah. playing
2: right. Yes. Yeah. Comes off yeah. the bench now.
4: Um, yeah, I mean, look, you guys have depth. You have all the pieces. You, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to stick around and, and win that tournament. I'd probably take you over anybody. Um, but obviously, I haven't seen you on your bad nights since Virginia Tech. And I understand that you have them. So, yeah. you know, that's kind of been a little bit the Anthony Grant story. I'm a little higher on him than you guys are. Understandably, you guys are, are much closer to that program and the frustrations you know are 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 real, uh, given given the resources you have and the and the fan commitment you put into it. But uh, but uh, I I think you guys will have just as good a shot as anybody. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of season left, and I, I think you'll win 20 games, and we'll see where it goes from
2: here. Most certainly, no, I agree. Um, yeah, no, I, I you know I I like to get fan perspective because you know like you said we harp on the same stuff, right? like we talk about the same issues with Grant and tonight isn't really one of those nights, thankfully, because I I think me and Drew, I'll speak for both of us, like we have gotten incredibly tired of the fan discourse and the debate over Anthony Grant. You know, it's...
3: I've been tired of it for an entire year.
2: Yeah, it's it's (laughs) so tiresome, man, because the resume is there. It's like, it would be like, Discussing the merits of a performance review of an employee, and that you know, we're all in the corporate world to some degree, and then you laying out all these things that they do well, and then someone saying, Well, here's their professional resume, and it says something completely different. And then you have all those people that like continue to say, well, no, no, hold on. I did the performance review and and I think that everything's fine and I think he's a great guy and I had a meeting with him and he is just the best and, oh, he's a good culture fit. And the same person sitting there going, "But what about the professional resume? What about that? And then people just kind of sit there with blank stares on their faces or they make like these wild excuses. Well... This uh, and the other thing—it's like the resume just is what it is. Like I don't feel the need to discuss these things anymore because we're kind of in a position where we're all agreeing at this point in the season that Dayton has the tools and talent to win the A10 tournament, right? And now we're all getting healthy. You know, we, I keep saying we. I'm sorry. The team starts getting healthy. Everybody's getting healthy at Dayton. You know, they're starting to turn into the team that everybody expected them to be over the last couple of weeks here. So then you, you know, if if they do stumble in the A-10 tournament, it's like, well, where do you direct that vitriol? Where do you direct the blame? And unfortunately, Drew, it, you know, it's the head coach.
3: Yep. It's the head coach and it always will be in college athletics. You know, you can only go so far as to, you know, get mad at the college kids. It ultimately falls on the head honcho. And, you know, like we said, I've, I've my stance on Anthony Grant is well known. I think he's got the capabilities to get it done. And there are times where I question my thoughts on that, but you you look at a game like tonight where Dayton came in, they took care of business. They got up, they, they stayed up, they stepped on the neck when they needed to. It was never in doubt. So if we're going to sit here on the show and, you know, get mad when those bad games roll around, it's only fair that when it, when it goes well, we get on this show and give, give the coaches due, give the guys their due, because tonight Absolutely. they did precisely what was what was asked of them. They won. They won going away. And they're starting to build momentum and peak at the right time for the situation that we're in, because the situation is, as we've stated, is to win the Atlantic 10 tournament to go to the dance. And yeah. if they do that and Anthony Grant does that, well, guess what? He gets a feather in his cap, another one, quite frankly. Yep. And he gets another feather in his cap that some of these other coaches that We've had don't, and that is winning the Atlantic Ten tournament. So he's got a very good opportunity in front of him to kind of change, you know, for lack of a better word, the narrative around him the when perception. it comes to per, sure perception. his perception within within our fan base and you know to a lesser degree the the national stage. But he's got an opportunity to do that, and if they take advantage of it and they find themselves inside the NCAA tournament, uh you know what? I think teams would not be psyched to look at look at their name on selection sunday and see Dayton right next to him. I really don't.
2: I agree. They'd be one of the the stronger or let's put it this way, more favored double digit seeds because at this point Dayton's probably looking at an 11 or 12 seed if they were to sneak in, maybe a 10, maybe, maybe, maybe um but they they would be one of those higher seeds i'm gonna call it 11 or 12 that would be favored in the ncaa tournament if they were to win that a10 tournament we're gonna have to wrap up quickly uh curry 30 seconds or less we always give final thoughts to our guests what are your final thoughts for the dayton flyers listeners tonight on top final thoughts are that i think
4: we might be seeing Dayton in the big East within the next four years. (laughs) That's Um, a hot take. That's takes. uh, I love it. (laughs) I think a lot of stuff is coming uh, and it's, and, and either you St. Louis or VCU ends, ends up in the big East after all of this conference realignment stuff. So, you know, obviously is that likely? Probably not light. I wouldn't say it's above 50%. I wouldn't say it's probably above 30%. I would say there's a legitimate shot and it is something to watch for as we follow the craziness that is conference realignment. I think the Big East would be crazy not to pursue Dayton. Um, and I would be sad to see you go, but I think it's probably good for your program.
2: Well, it would be better for the UMass program if they followed football and um, gotten a better program for basketball because recruiting follows... Jesus FC Curry, that was a hot take to take us out on, but indeed it is the take that takes us out because we're overtime on the radio feed, definitely not the podcast feed, but if you have listened to us all the way to the end, we salute you and thank you for being around for the rapid reaction. Dayton, again, a winner, 72-54 against the UMass Minutemen. They will be back in action Saturday night, 6 o'clock against the George Mason Patriots, and we will be live from timothy's bar and grill at four o'clock p.m eastern giving you the pregame show on 1410 espn radio which is where you're listening to us right now i'm sully he's drew and we're joined by curry and thank you for listening to the rapid reaction we're going to take you on out as long as you are wearing red and being loud good night
1: there's a fire Cheating a fever, pictures bringing me out the dark. Finally, I can see you crystal clear. Go ahead and sell me out, and I'll lay your ship, babe. See, I'll leave with every